You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Welcome or welcome back to this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series with Jerry Parker, Mort Siebert and I, Niels Kastorlarsen, where each week we take the pulse of the global market through the lens of a rules-based investor. And for long-term listeners, our conversations are intended to keep you focused and inspired to continue your trend-following journey. And if you're newer to the show, our hope is that today's episode will trigger your curiosity to check out our back catalogue and all the past episodes that you may have missed. Jerry Moritz, good morning, good afternoon. How are things where you are today? Good morning, Jerry. Good afternoon, Niels. Doing fine. Cold here in New York City, um, but uh, you know, a lot of fun stuff going on. Just uh, trying to weather the uh, stock market crash this week and stay inside and hunker down. Yeah, it's probably one of those weeks where we uh, will have enough to talk about, I think. So uh, let's see how it goes. Kind of a quick uh, roundup. I think most people listening to us today uh, know what happened last week in the financial markets. Um, from what I can tell from the headlines uh, just this morning, uh, it is in fact the uh, the fastest drop larger than 10% in a seven-day kind of trading uh, period from a new all-time high in history. Um, but it wasn't the only records uh, that were set last week. Interest rates, uh, the 10-year uh, US notes declined uh, the yield down to um, 1.13, dropped by 25% to hit that all-time low of 1.13. And of course, 30-year bonds also made new record uh, lows. And, and I think that is kind of important because it sends a different message to that of the equity markets, recent kind of uh, hitting uh, very high valuations, uh, certainly compared to the last 20 years. I mean, bond markets are basically saying that economic growth and activity is going to be somewhat muted over the next 10 years and that a mere 1.13% yield will be a fair return on, on investment. But I don't think it was the only surprises we had uh, during the week. Um, uh, we saw things like gold, uh, and silver get hit for the week, actually, which is uh, not kind of the safe haven behavior some people might have expected. But um, I am interested to see what caught your eyes, uh, Moritz, first um, in terms of market action, not least, of course, uh, uh, your own, um, but also just in general what you found interesting. Did anything happen last week? I'm not sure. Some people no, say no, it was okay. a busy week. Just just checking. Uh down 4%, um, no dramas. So finally, I put this on Twitter, finally outperforming the S&P 500, which is down more than 10%, right? So Great pretty happy about that. But um, obviously the long positions and equities, uh, they were they were a drag. Uh, none of those have worked. I got stopped out of uh, quite a few topics, S&P, SMI, Eurostocks, I think I remember. But of course, the bonds, um, they kind of like kept me alive that week. Um, the price move higher in US bonds, Canadian bonds, Australian bonds, all over Europe has been very, very strong and, and I've been long, so that's good. I've been short gold, still, uh, sorry, short oil, still short oil, which uh, which helped. But like you said, Niels, um, 
long pretty much all the precious metals, not only gold and silver, but also platinum and palladium. That didn't work. I know platinum and palladium, they aren't that much of a risk-off asset as gold and silver, but it was kind of surprising to see that uh, gold and silver were selling off pretty much every day this past week, um, in spite of the fact that the equity markets were tanking. So, so no safe haven here. Uh, maybe they were the ATM and maybe people had to liquidate them uh, in order to meet margin calls or, you know, get cash for other positions and cover losses elsewhere. We don't know that, but um, it, it caught my eye. What also caught my eye was that uh, Bitcoin isn't the, the safe quality asset that we always, you know, think it is. It uh, it moved down about 1500 bucks or so from 10000 to 8500 Um but you know, Bitcoin's Bitcoin. It's it's this uncorrelated thing. So um, we'll see what happens. Anyway, minus four for the week, uh, slightly up, about flat for the year, thirty basis points up for the year. Um, kind of like a reset, a reset back to January first in a way. Not bad, I think. I mean, I think that's pretty good for a uh, trend-following strategy. Um, I um, we didn't fare as well, uh, so we're down a little bit now for the for the year. And uh, also down in February, um, but um, you know, these are the things that happen. Um, and as I'm sure it comes as no surprise for the people listening to us uh, every week, that when you do have, uh, in in our case, mainly equity markets that kind of entered last week uh, very close or at new highs, uh, that's going to mean that we're going to be uh, having very healthy long positions in in those markets. And kind of as a medium to longer term manager. We, um, it can take us uh, several weeks, even if we're losing uh, money, it can take us some weeks to uh, unwound uh, positions like that. But we also have some other things that we, um, you know, build into the, to, uh, to the model that helps us uh, from time to time accelerate our exits, something we discovered uh, seven years ago. And actually, they did get triggered this, uh, this week. So we, um, we did see also, like you, Moritz, uh, quite a lot of uh, reduction in risk and equity risk in particular. And of course, long bonds like you were uh, long the metals, which didn't help, um, but um, somewhat short uh, energies, um, but not quite enough to offset um, what happened in equity. So we had to register a, a little loss uh, in February um, and, uh, as I said, down. Uh, a, a handful or so for for the for the year so far, which is not uh, not too bad. Certainly not. It didn't feel. <laughs> it wasn't in terms of the numbers, and it certainly didn't feel uh, nearly as bad as we saw in February of 2018. But um, I am expecting when we see the results come out, I'm expecting certainly that some of the short-term guys have done really well because it was you know, a breakdown of equities, but it was a consistent breakdown. It was like four or five days in a row. And that should be really good for some of those strategies. Certainly some of the numbers I've seen um, suggest uh, that maybe not so much in the short-term traders index, but some individual numbers. And that's great. I mean, you know, all power to them. That's what, that's kind of the role that I see that they should play in in a diversified portfolio. We are there to provide the long-term benefits when you have longer term crises um but the, in the short term it's more random than anything whether we're going to start out by making money or losing money when you have these things happening and this time uh, it was we were on the losing side but nothing as you say no drama 
um, and um, it's nice to have a plan every day. You go to, uh, you go into the markets and, and know exactly what uh, what you need to do. Uh, what's interesting to me, and we'll I mean, maybe we'll come up. This will come up in our conversation later on. Is of course that uh, we've touched upon uh, in our previous episodes this thing about how how much money today we see uh, in passively invested uh, funds and. Um, those kind of investors and their reactions and their sentiment will be interesting to see because they can certainly provide a lot of selling pressure. And I guess the only thing that really, not the only thing, but one thing that really surprised me this week was there was a headline in Bloomberg saying, don't blame the quants for the sell-off, blame the humans. I didn't expect that, so that was nice. Yeah, we're not human. (laughs) What about you, Jerry? I mean, uh, equities have been in the center, uh, epicenter uh, this week. Um, so since you have, you know, different equity exposure than Moritz and we have, so uh, I, I'm I'm really interested to see how the portfolio or what happens um, during a period like this. Well, you know, in contrast to all the indices being in a big uptrends, my stock portfolio was pretty only maybe half the stocks were in an uptrend. So I, I had sort of a smallest positions, but there was no diversification at all this week. Uh, I had one stock uh, that, or maybe one or two that uh, had some strong days, believe it or not, um, a drug company and Zoom. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure why, and I think Zoom kind of crashed on Friday as the market sort of rallied late in the day. But uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, um, a lot of lessons to be learned from this week. Um, pay attention to the trends. I think it was so easy to sort of, uh, if you're more discretionary or even in your own head, you could be following the systems, but uh, still thinking, oh, this is kind of overdone. It's extreme. It'll bounce back. Um, these are sort of dangerous thoughts to have, especially if it leads you to not have a system or not um, to act on those, not to act when you should in your system. It's giving you indications of, uh, you know, cutting back on your trades. But um, so I think another good lesson is um, sort of like you said earlier, that sort of how unprecedented these moves were. And, you know, uh, first time in history, it's taken six days to get into a minus 10, or I think we might be in a minus 15. So once again, something we've never seen before, the historical uh, performance in the past is not that, not very useful for us today, you know, as far as what to expect and what these markets can do. And um, even what we've seen this week may not be a great lesson of what could happen in the future, because anything can happen. And unfortunately, also anything can happen with our approaches, our systematic performance uh, of our systems that they could look a lot different than they've looked in the past, because they're, they're being applied to data that we've never seen before. So it's kind of, uh, and I'd say the third thing is another example, unfortunately, of being able to blame trend followers for not producing any sort of crisis alpha because of um, not only did we lose in the stocks, but we lost in other markets as well. So it uh, was not a lot of... It was just uh, good to be short, and I didn't have enough shorts. So whatever you could find to be short was a good idea and get out of the longs as quickly as possible. So um, I was talking to someone earlier, 
and I was telling them this is sort of unprecedented, and they said, "How about 2008? I mean, that was unprecedented, and the stocks got crashed, got crushed. Why didn't? Uh, but you you did well in 2008. Why not this time? Like, oh well, <laughs> different chart patterns, I guess. Yeah, but also, I mean, I think, I mean, we've touched upon this many times, and I think uh, um, a lot of the people listening to us uh, is fully aware of that. You know, our systems are not designed to. Uh, provide any protection uh, in a situation like this um, if it did it would be from other positions but from the actual if you just look at how we would be trading the equities um, in the last period of time you know we have to be long we have to be um, you know significantly long given what's ha- going been going on in the market so when you do get a quick sell-off like that um, you know we give back um, we give back part of that profit all of that profit um that's just how it's meant to be um there's nothing wrong or right about it but it is what it is so um so i think the more people um uh, um take time to understand that that's that's how it how that's how it's meant to be and there's nothing wrong um i think that um, maybe some of the headlines will focus on other things than then CTA is not pro- providing crisis alpha because we are down for one week. Uh, I saw a chart. Um, I, I'm sure it must have been some kind of lock chart or whatever. But there was one a guy who had who posted a chart of the Dow Jones in the last hundred years. And of course, this week you can't even see as being anything. You know, there's no drama at all uh, when you when you look at the chart. But you know how it felt during the weekend. I'm sure a lot of people uh, felt it was dramatic. And and the other thing that, for, to me, makes it probably more worrisome is that I think we talked about this last week from some of the research that um, Chris Cole has recently published that uh, 72, 73, 74, thereabouts percent uh, or p- pension funds in the U.S. Uh, have 72 to 74% exposure to equity type uh, risk. So for them, it that's dramatic, right? Um, without a doubt. Um, so for any long-only strategy, um, this can turn out to be something much worse than what we've seen so far. So um, how did people react in uh, in on social media? What what um, what did you find of interesting stuff that we can get our teeth into today? <laughs> well. I- Probably stayed away from social media more so this week than ever. Uh, just preoccupied with what was going on and uh, trying to pay attention to that. Um, so it's a light week, but I did tweet that same article that you saw that said uh, and it got a lot of responses, which I should read some of those. I haven't, uh, when I yeah. talk about my tweets, I don't really think too much about the comments. I don't get many comments, <laughs> but I got some comments on this one. Okay. Six days. That's all the time it took for the S&P to fall more than 10% from a record into a correction. That's the quickest turnaround of the sort ever. <clears throat> and my comment was, the present is not constrained or influenced by the past. And um, Moritz commented about beating the S&P. One person commented, has market structure changed enough? That trend is no longer a great insulator from these types of moves. Sam said the insulator's diversification into trends in other markets, both bonds ripped this week. And um, yeah, so I think those are pretty two good comments. I think uh, it was really good to stay in that bond trend and not be too eager to get out. Uh, that thing was very nasty sell-off. 
uh, not nearly as bad as the stocks, in my opinion, but um, hanging in there long term and suffering that drawdown, then uh, surprise, surprise, they come back gradually, and then uh, a great week to have a lot of bonds long. So uh, mm. that, that worked pretty well. And I do think that uh, there is no market structure that um, is going to do well for that particular sell-off. There's, no, there's very little, few ways of making money for the long-term trend followers, what happened in the stocks this week. And I've seen that back uh, in the 80s, 90s, all, all through my career, that exact same uh, crash scenario where you're just sort of helpless and you... I do think it's better to trade uh, a lot of different individual stocks because they didn't have that particular uh, look of the S&P. So that's mm. pretty uh, dangerous uh, if that's all you have going on. And um, But it's this is not unprecedented in, in, in any way. It's, it's just uh, discouraging, I think. Yeah, of course, and now we're waiting for, for next week where we might get some response again from the central banks. I mean, you know, the big question, I guess, um, that also Chris Cole raises in, in, in his report is, will the um, buy-the-dip strategy that has worked so well for the last 10 years, will that continue to work? And I guess every time we're at this crossroad, we kind of ask ourselves, and I'm not quite sure what the answer is going to be this time, but only only time will tell. And uh but at least we don't have to worry about it as, as such since we have rules to follow. So, um, yeah, what else um, did you uh, find interesting uh, in terms of articles and stories? Well, I just wanted to go back and uh, mention, I had a comment about uh, gold and silver. So I think that uh, I was getting some calls yesterday about rumor about the Fed stepping in and uh, lowering rates to help the market. And um, so I think this is probably what was going on in the metals, just that uh, no inflation and um, no reason to own these metals anymore, just move everything into bonds. And I thought that was kind of interesting about how that was, because I think initially when the market started selling off last week, it um, gold did pretty well, mm. silver. So I thought that was pretty interesting how in the middle of the day, these fundamentals are flying around, and I'm so confused, and I'm not paying attention to them except just gossip, sort of. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. I guess that's what hit Bitcoin as well. And then I was thinking, why doesn't the Fed just step in and buy S&Ps? You know, that would be more fun for me rather than going this indirect route of uh, <laughs> lowering rates when the bond market itself is sort of saying, the free market, the bond market is saying, hey, Fed, why don't you lower rates? So uh, I thought you would think that was funny. Well, you know, in 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 wasn't it in December 2018 uh, 18 when when uh, equities were having a really rough time that that um, it turned out, I mean, I think uh, it was published that um, the administration in the US had called whatever the seven banks. I don't know if they are the ones who are called the plunge protection team, but they obviously came in around Christmas uh, and from there on it was one way up, um, you know, so you never know. Yeah, I remember when uh, Facebook went public. Uh, I was watching Facebook that day, and uh, one of the banks, maybe Goldman, it took them public or whatever. They, I guess they had an, uh, an order 
they had an agreement to not let Facebook go below the IPO price. And so it, every time it hit that low price, it would just bounce every single time. It was just a straight line across. It could not go lower. So that would be fun. If uh, yeah, I think the government, I think the, the market was sort of saying we would like a response from the government. I don't care if it's cut rates or whatever uh, to settle everything. And so late, late in the week, they finally figured that out and they said a few things and, you know, we didn't get another bad day. So it's kind of interesting how it all worked. Well, it amazes me with, with all the, like, you know, everybody's calling for the government and the Fed and the central banks to provide a bailout to the market. And yet at the same time, we're here as capitalists trading those markets. And really, as a pure capitalist, I didn't want to see any of those interferences with, with a free market. But it happens over and over again. And um, as far as buying equities is concerned, I mean, we only have to look to Japan. About half of the equity market is owned by the BOJ. Um, it's... It's mind-boggling um, the extent to which those interventions go, and it doesn't seem to stop. So let's see what's next. I mean, no. I think that's the problem. It doesn't work, and it definitely doesn't exactly. work in the long run. Right. And I think that the point I was trying to make was that just say something. Would, would someone say that they right. have a plan or they're in control? Well, it's going to work or not. You know, it's kind of like when you feel – kind of vulnerable as a child. If your parents just say, hey, it'll be okay. You know, it may not be okay. But if someone would have just stood in and said, hey, I think this is going to be fine. I'm, right. I'm, I'm working on this. And so the market's like, oh, okay, then we can stop going down. So uh, it's, it was just, that was just my interpretation of last week. Way off our usual topics of let's just keep it to the trend. Right. But um, I mean, this past week, what it reminded me of is um, – it's, you know, it's the emotions and, and human beings driving those prices and those markets. I mean, uh, 10 days ago, equities were making new highs and everything was, um, you know, suns and roses and, and nothing could be, could be bad. And then all of a sudden, this fear about the virus gets the better of everyone and uh, it crashes immensely in such short time, right? So it's... Uh, it's again proof to the fact that there is there's always this human emotional thing that you know gets the markets crazy and drives them to uh, strange levels, both to the upside and to the to the downside. But it's not. I would I would add to that, Moritz, and say it's not just sort of the human emotion. It, I think it goes much deeper than that. I think it's really human behavior, right? Because yeah, I mean the markets have reacted, and that's emotional, but. But if you just look at what's happened this week in terms of changes to behavior, I was telling Moritz before we uh, started the recording, uh, Jerry, that I was meant to go to Milan this week on, on business. And um, But, you know, as this story broke out last Sunday about uh, northern Italy being, you know, kind of a, the epicenter in Europe for corona, it didn't take me 24 hours to figure out that I didn't want to go to Milan, right? So um, I spoke to someone um, on the phone yesterday who was on a plane from London to Milan Thursday evening. There were four other, uh, three other passengers. There were four in total. So human behavior is interesting because when, when if we start changing human behavior, if our humans change their behavior based on, for example, in this case, the coronavirus, that has that can have really big impact. And of course, we as trend followers 
have argued this for years because deep down that's most likely why our strategy works and the efficient uh, market hypothesis isn't uh, working all the time at least. Um, so uh, I think it's incredibly powerful and it's a very good example and I think it's a good reminder of why people should have something in their portfolio that is kind of, you know, created to adapt uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, benefit or profit from, um, you know, these impacts that are completely uh, unpredictable in many ways, but will be reflected in price. Yeah, I just, you know, it, 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 it's testament to the fact how quickly things can change, whether that's emotion or behavior. But, it, you know, it appears to me that, like I said, 10 days ago, uh, you've probably would have ruled that out. And then all of a sudden there's this awareness that, oh, it could be bad and maybe worse than we thought. And then the behavior changes so quickly and so dramatically. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. You told me something about the German authorities, Moritz. What was that? About 60% would catch this? Or what was that? Yeah, the, uh... so people can find it uh, on Google. And it's, it's, it's not only about Germany. It's um, some specialists, they predict that 60 to 70% of the population, um, they didn't say world population, but they said, you know, of, of German population. So I guess it's probably true for other countries as well. Um, 60 to 70% of the people will are likely to be affected um, by the virus within the next two years. It's just the hope is that um, it's not going to be happening to everyone at the same time because that would be very problematic to infrastructure and hospitals and all that type of stuff, right? But it's um, you have a, a, a higher chance than a coin toss to uh, attracting the virus and become infected within the next two years, um, maybe in a year's time, maybe in one and a half years' time. Who knows? I yeah. I know nothing about that topic. I I also I must say when when I open the say the the favorite websites which people read these days, you know, the news websites, of course, I mean for them it's they are making a killing out of that, right? Crisis and bad news, they sell so well that whatever website you open, the headline is the virus. The second story is the virus. The third story is the virus and so on and so on and so on, right? So it's really nothing but, and it's breaking news and it's rolling banners. And I'm sure there's a lot of exaggeration in that because we know that from reading the news and having people report about the markets. Okay, you can say, let's be you know, very careful and, and cautious about this virus. It's, it's really a bad thing, but of course it attracts clicks, right? When you say 60 to 70% of the population will at some point, uh, you know, attract the virus. And it, like you say, it changes people's behavior. I mean, uh, here in this country, normally supplies are, there's no shortage of anything. Everything works, right? Kind of like in Switzerland. And now you see people going into the supermarkets and buying the ravioli cans and, uh, and, and the toilet paper, and there's nothing left. They're, they're hoarding it, right? So it's the end of the world preparation. Uh, going on so it, 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 like I'm saying all of this happened within a couple of days and it's not a gradual change it's kind of like a tipping point that appears to have been reached and you know on the cusp people have just changed behavior two small comments on that uh, to your point um, uh, I heard from some some uh, family who lives in in Singapore 
that actually in Singapore, things like that is now rationed. I mean, you can't just go out and buy toilet paper. It is rationed. So, I mean, that's pretty severe, right? And secondly, about the funny thing about the news kind of wanting to... I mean, obviously, this is a big story for the news. Funnily enough, in Denmark, the first coronavirus case was actually someone working at the news. So the whole thing got... Um, they have to self-quarantine themselves, uh, you know. So so they had um, even more to talk about um, on that front. So, yeah. And, you know, price, price and trend. The, those masks uh, we were speaking about oh, yeah. earlier, you know, normally the pack's uh, five bucks. They're now selling here for 97 euros. So if you want to get five masks, 97 euros, there you go. So it's 20x the price. <laughs> Almost as much as these remotes we bought, Jerry, and um, we shipped to the U.S. for the uh, Apple TV. Yes, those remotes are showing up. Uh, more of them are on eBay now, so I hope that uh, that price is coming down. But I see them more and more. So, and I think another thing is that um, yes, I mean it's crazy behavior and it's a lot of uh, panic and. Uh, I heard that uh, another reason that stocks were going down early in the week was based upon uh, some of the political uh, people here in the U.S. about who's running for president and who's in the lead in the polls. And so this one person is in the lead in the polls. He's going to be bad for the economy. And so who knows? But I think that the danger is that, uh, I mean, I don't, on one hand, I don't think that this stuff is sort of predictable. Uh, but it could be right. You just never know. And that when the market, it was it was logical and it made sense when people panicked and the stocks got crushed the few t a few times over history that we've seen. And then, uh, you know, it, everyone calmed down and the market went back to new highs. But it did not do that in 2008. So it doesn't always do it. And it's it's illogical sometimes. And it is people panicking. And it will reverse and go right back to the highs. And buy and hold will once again resume and we'll all be um, made fun of for doing anything other than buy and hold or it could keep going but that uh, just so price is doing what it's doing I don't think it's necessarily right I don't know if it's going to be right or not and so if the market goes back to new highs and all the stocks I had to get out of go back to new highs next week or start back to new highs then no it was not price was um, not my friend, and it didn't do a good job, but it is the reality, and the back test says even if, uh, when this does happen, net-net, it's still profitable just to pay attention to price, and there's nothing that's gonna keep you out of trouble, even though you're gonna get yourself out of trouble more often than the trouble even really exists. Yeah, absolutely. But there were some other articles, as far as I recall, that um, came up in your Twitter feed before we go. We got a, quite a few questions because last week we had to uh, postpone some of them. So we got a few questions lined up. Yeah, let's uh, talk about this um, one you brought to my attention. I guess it was a negative Barron's article uh, about CTAs and futures and trend following. And uh, AQR had a comment. I guess Cliff had a comment about this article where he says, uh, things you're quite convinced are long-term edges are themselves are themselves low, sharp processes. It should be judged on their economic reasonableness and as much evidence as possible, as real-life results are sadly almost always too short for the task. Hopefully, you'll find many edges. You can use good risk control and discipline. 
uh, keep an open, but keep an open mind that things may have changed, but not so open that your brains and your money fall out. <coughs> so, and then he ends it by this famous quote, which is apt for this week, which is, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat them, treat those two imposters just the same, you know, that's, you'll be more successful. So I think uh, having kind of an even mentality this week of these losses in these markets is uh, very helpful. I don't think I would have been this calm or kind of uh, just resigned to reality, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. So some of the mentality that you have with crazy markets and losing money and wiping out e the year's profits very quickly, I think may just come from uh, experiencing the alternative, which is freaking out about it, which doesn't help either. Yeah, I mean, his comments. I mean, first of all, always very well written. Um, um, what, 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 but, but his comments, maybe to put it into context, it was a response to a Barron's article where I think Barron three years ago had them on the cover, uh, you know, AQR and uh, and a big group of AQRs, and the kind of the headline was, you know, brain power or something like that, and just showing how you know, uh, talking about how well they were doing and all of that stuff. And now, it, you know, the article uh, that they was they wrote about them again was um, AQR can't even beat, uh, you know, the risk-free rate of return or something like that, that, you know, whatever it was. So, and, um, but of course, I mean, um, uh, I think what Cliff is saying is, is absolutely true. I mean, and, and of course, we shouldn't get too excited when things are working out really well. Uh, neither should we get uh, pessimistic when they're not. I mean, we need to be, be believe in the long-term uh, process and benefit. And I can't remember, actually, if we talked about this already. I can't remember if I mentioned this. Um, but if I look back on, um, you know, for example, the, the last two big uh equity crisis and I'm using the MSCI as as the index um, and I look at our own performance but I'm sure it's going to be the same if I took your performance Jerry or or Morris's for that matter and or, or any of our peers um, even though both periods which of course is the tech bubble and the financial crisis even those both periods provided very substantial positive performance uh, you know for us they didn't necessarily start out at the same in the same way. So in one of them, um, yeah, the, the trend following strategy made money straight away. But the other one, it took quite a few months before it really got going, as the crisis, as the losses in equities um, got bigger. So you just don't know um, exactly how uh, price action will turn out, and therefore how our models will respond. Um, so you just need to keep at it. Stay, stay with the, uh, stay with the rules. Exactly. I mean, at least we have that plan, right? I mean, now that this week I've got kicked out of most of my long equity positions, I'm fully expecting the market to scream higher on Monday, and I'm no longer long. I mean, this this would be this would be the normal behavior, right? Uh, but then again, I guess you need to take that on the gin as well, and and I will if it happens. But like you say, Niels. Um, you know, it, it, it may take a while, maybe, you know, another week, two, three, whatever, and it dances around, but eventually maybe it becomes not only a correction, but a longer term downtrend. And then we will be on the right side of that trend. Um, and, and, and we will be making money then hopefully, but if it, you know, just turns around in a V shape, kind of like recovery and the S and P is up another 10% next week, well, then I won't be looking that good. And I think um, another thing is that uh, putting yourself in a situation to be able to follow these rules 
and, and uh, enjoy life and enjoy your process. It's uh, so mandatory to uh, be fully diversified and have shorts and uh, not be overweighted in a sector or not have too many precious metals on or because that's the flip side of having too many bonds on. You know, if this time, that was probably a pretty good trade, but a heavy concentration into any one sector that's all moving together, just like uh, the bonds do, and just like these precious metals did, you know, that's something to be aware of. And so when I look at all of the issues, and I wrote myself a note, like go through last week, this week, uh, every market, every trade, and just look at and see what, um, is anything that stands out, I think that's the most important thing is that uh, the big problem in stocks is if you had too many on. I mean, that's really it, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I got crushed in the metals, but I didn't have you know, a huge position because uh, I've scaled them back because they're all, in my opinion, somewhat similar. But uh, if I have a complaint, you know, it's usually going to revolve around too much risk, or maybe even overall risk. My vol is on a daily basis, it's just I come in with too many, my positions are too large for my comfort zone or my clients or whatever the case may be. But I think uh, trade small goes hand in hand and trade appropriately to what you can handle uh, be and be, have some real true diversification, like we talked about last week with Harold DeBoer. Um, you know, some of these trends, they're expressed in 10 different markets and it's the same trend. Uh, but sort of uh, sticking to a system, being able to stick to a system, kind of goes hand in hand with your leverage and your quality of your diversification. But also on that point, Jerry, I and mean, I think that that's what, what worries me is that we talk about diversification, we all embrace it, we all live it. But then when you look at the much bigger pools of capital, I've actually, I actually think that there is less diversification today than there were five years ago because they've all been chasing yield through equities and then recently they've all uh, chased uh, equity yield through less liquid equity strategies such as private equity and so on and so forth so i mean i think there is definitely enough um, build up um, and maybe it's not this time maybe it's another thing that that triggers it but but i would not be surprised that we're gonna we're gonna have some at some point we're gonna have a massive fallout again because i think the just the makeup of the investors' uh, allocations um, are getting very concentrated. So when you have, at some point, when you have enough pain, um, then people start voting with their feet, and and, and that's going to uh, certainly in the passively managed uh, products uh, that's going to lead to uh, even more pressure on uh, on on those markets. So we'll see. Anything else, Jerry? You want to bring up from your side, um, or should we jump to? Some questions. Maybe one thing before we do the questions, I, I wanted to bring this up because I found it amazing that, you know, the, the shorter term trend systems, and I think Niels, you mentioned it earlier in, in this conversation, um, some of them had a really good week. And yeah. uh, so maybe a, a, a shout out to 40in20out.com, uh, our friend Andrew. Um, he's posting his results on a daily basis and he was up every single day this week. Every single day this week. Uh, month to date, 12.51% up. Year to date, close to 20% up. And, you know, most of that PL coming from newly initiated short term positions, short the equity indices. And, I, you know, I'm not short the equity indices. I got stopped out, but I'm not short. Um, so, you know, it, it, it shows that there's some, uh, some real power in those short term systems. 
Yeah, but it also shows that there's power in diversification, but diversification yes. doesn't always mean market diversification. It certainly has much time frame mm-hmm. and methodology and all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, I completely agree. So uh, good point. All right. Uh, first question that we missed last week is uh, from Brian. Um, Brian writes in, Jerry believes and emphasizes using the same rules for all markets. Who are some of your past guests who promote using different rules for different markets if it improves performance? So, I mean, um, from my point of view, I I don't recall um, whether anyone has talked about... Um, using different rules for different markets that's not to say that they wouldn't do it but i think i think most people in our space certainly in the trend following space probably uses the same rules across all markets um ha- but but i think in the short term space i think it's completely natural that you develop market specific models i think that's i think that would be the norm um, but in the longer-term trend-following space, I, I don't know anyone. Um, have you come across anyone? Uh, I have. I'm uh, not going to mention any names, but I know a bunch of um, medium to long-term trend-following firms and people who uh, have different rules for different markets and trade them in slightly different ways, different time frames. Um, does, does it work? Um, well, it, uh, it, it's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Look, it's um, it it is working now. The look, we're saying we don't want to do that because it opens the door to too much curve fitting and it destroys our sample size. You know, if I'm using a different rule for uh, every single market, then I will end up having even less trades than I already have. And I wish I had more trades in my portfolio with all the rules being the same, right? So, I'd like to maximize that sample size if I'm not using the same rules then I'm minimizing it um, so look but I, I don't want to judge on that it's it's you know does it work yeah it works but maybe it has worked not because the rules are different but because the markets have been the way they have been in the past 30 years and it wouldn't really have mattered if you had the same rules or slightly different rules for me it's more the point about I don't want to do that because I'd like to have a clean statistical sample size to analyze and this this is where where I stop my thinking about it, and I would, by the way, Niels, do it in the same way also for a short term system. Um, you know, if I traded a short term system, then um, I also wouldn't use different rules for different markets there, only because it's short term. It's um, for me the system has to be uniform and and work in the same way across everything, across the portfolio. Yeah, and I think um, one way to analyze that is to look in, in, in sample, at a sample, to see if uh, your corn system is, is the better, it, that works the best uh, in the out of sample data, or what works better, um, just the, the system that works the best over all the data. So I think, uh, but I think the human inclination is to do that, to fine tune it. These markets have personalities, they're different. You can't tell me stocks don't behave differently. I've heard this a million times. And so I think that, uh, and I've also heard recently that people would say things like, well, uh, now I have enough data for commodities. And this is almost like a quote, uh, that I will uh, optimize the commodities data 
So uh, that sort of flies in the face of what Moritz said and what I quoted earlier, which is, you know, uh, from Cliff Asness, which is, uh, you just never have enough data. And so I'm not really sure. I'm, it's a, I'm surprised right now that uh, it's sort of a known idea that short term, oh, of course, they just, they do market specific syst systems and rules. So I didn't even know that. But um, I think, uh, I wonder if it's sort of a trade-off between uh, being ultra-conservative and careful and responsible, which may be unnecessary as it is most of the time in life, you know, go ahead, have a good time, loosen up. Um, probably doesn't hurt most of people most of the time. But uh, I guess the downside is if we're correct, I just wonder uh, if we changed our mind and, you know, how much better the performance would even be. So uh, to me, it's just a trade-off I'm not willing to make. Yeah. Well, speaking of changing our minds, um, Jacob writes in with the next uh, question. Uh, starts out by saying, thanks for discussing my last question uh, in an otherwise volatile uh, and great show. The question this time is when to change system rules, i.e., are there general rules that can be used in order to indicate when one should be changing the rules of one system? What are the criteria to determine when to stop trading a system? I guess it's a highly subjective issue, but it's an important topic nevertheless, especially for the trader with a relatively small account size. He won't be able to diversify over a large set of subsystems and would otherwise uh, that would otherwise improve risk-adjusted returns and the ability to research and subtract additional systems. Um, cool. Moritz, I'm going to start by asking you this. Yeah, the the all-important the all question, when do you stop trading a system that apparently has stopped working, but maybe you can never be sure that it has really stopped working, right? So um, there is, for me, I've said this before, no objective hard criterion that would tell me now it's time to stop. Um, this, this is not how it works. It, it needs to, you know, decay over longer, over longer time periods, um, much, much longer time periods, because as Jared just said, we we're lacking the data. We, we don't even have enough data. So de determining that a system has stopped working itself, by definition, that requires a lot of time before you can really, you know, jump to the conclusion and say, I'll turn it off or I'll tweak it or I'll change it. Um, so it is completely subjective. Um, and I think that experience plays a tremendous role in that process um, to keep you at bay uh, so that you don't fiddle around with your rules all the time. Uh, you're in a drawdown and you change stuff all the time. That's, that's not what you want to do. Um, you have to be steady with those things and love your system, follow your system. And then, of course, I mean, if for years and years and years uh, it, it does not work, then, yeah, I mean, hopefully you've done some research in the meanwhile and you know what you're going to change and how you're going to change it. But um, that is probably a good time to make a switch. But other than that, really, it's um, everybody's doing that in a different way. Any thoughts, Jerry, or are we all on no, the same No, I have no idea when you should switch. Um, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, it's changing my parameters around is probably not as important as coming to the conclusion that the core idea of following trends and taking small losses and paying attention to price only, uh, having your system uh, give you an overwhelming opportunity to profit from the outlier trades, 
doing logs and shorts and being maximally diversified, I think that's probably likely to not work or work and make getting that question correct is probably more important than tweaking my look back or my parameters, or my moving average parameters, etc. So I think that as I've said before, as I just laid it all out, uh, which one of those wonderful ideas are you going to abandon? You know, no more shorts, uh, no more small losses, no more mega profits. Uh, I'm going to switch all of this around. Too much diversification is bad. Um, can't pay attention to price only anymore. You have to do quantum mentals. You know, we haven't talked about that, but I read a lot about quantum mentals, which I badmouth, but uh, not really sure I know exactly what it is or if it's a marketing slogan or whatever. But um, so there's so many elements, the, the Ten Commandments of Systematic Trading, the, uh, the characteristics of systematic trading that we uh, extol their virtues. But is it possible that... Um, you have these goals, and they're all worthwhile goals. That uh, sorry, they're, they're just not attainable. And so, if you the only th the best thing possible is this um, S and P 500 index that has about a eight or nine percent average return and a 50, 60, 70 percent drawdown, and it's got these rules and it's momentum-ish based. And so, that's all any of us can do. So. I mean, I just think that I personally would be one of the last people to throw in the towel and go for that, although that could be a mistake. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good question, and I and 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 I agree with uh, what's been said already uh, here, uh, Jacob. But I mean, just maybe as an illustration, all I can say is that on our side, uh, going back forty-five years, um, I would say we've made two major changes to the model. Um, where we basically made some new discoveries um, that I would say is completely brand uh, new that we have added. Um, and so it, I think it shows that it's rare that you find something within trend following that is so different, so new, so much better um, that you want to, um, you know, change it. Um, and that also, in a sense, goes to the same way that if you have something already like that, um, you know, it's probably going to keep working, maybe not all the time, but but to stop it and do something completely different, um, I, I think that would be very rare. Um, small changes, small tweaks, sure, that happens on an ongoing basis, but really big, uh, big ones, um, very rarely on our side. And the bottom line to all of this, it seems, uh, is that uh, people have bad memories because no matter what you say bad about... Uh, the S&P system and buy and hold and the 8% or 9% and a 50, 60, 70% drawdown, it's just all forgotten at some point because it has its day in the sun and this day has lasted a long time and it's and people are, forget all of those nasty periods. And um, as it relates to making a decision, which is I'm going to put most of my assets in that, it has to, it, it, nothing can really, it looks like it recently has beaten it and it is making money. So hope is still out there that uh, any sort of problems that people have these days with CTAs, they'll forget those as well uh, when our strategy and our level of diversification becomes more in favor. And, and by the way, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have the, the, the facts in front of me, but but I think the stats are that every single year there will be, uh, you know, a 10 or 15% correction from a high to a low in, in equity markets. I mean, that's not unusual. Maybe that's what we saw last week and 
nothing more happens. I mean, we just don't know. Um, and so, um, yeah. Next question up is from one of our good friends, uh, Adrian, who uh, were with us uh, at our live event in New York. Uh, and by the way, uh, let me give a shout out to uh, everyone who was there because we see in the private uh, forum that we set up uh, after the event that people have been really busy improving their strategies and delivering some really great breakthroughs so um, so maybe we should consider doing one of those live events again if there's enough interest of course we'll see maybe people will email us if if they're interested and uh, then we have something to uh, consider but Adrian writes in um, and he has very specific questions I think maybe I'm the one who does it the most I'm not so sure whether Jerry and Morris does that but I it's a question about sickle strength what does it really mean how do you define it um, and so I'll I'll go first on this and and then you can uh, say whether you have anything in your vocabulary or similar to that but single strength for me is really like if you have 10 systems for example and they all you know point to to being long you're fully long so your signal strength is very strong and if only half of them are long and you're only 50 percent long then obviously your signal strength is is not as strong so that's really just a very simple way of thinking of it it's it's uh you know it just reflects whether you have a lot of uh, signals going in the same direction or or whether it's more neutral uh, in a sense nothing nothing more fancy than that um so hopefully that's clear um do you describe it differently moritz and jerry if you have lots of uh signals going in the same direction or how do you think about it yeah i would i would see it just like you described niels um, if you run multiple systems multiple time frames then that could be seen as signal strength right you make a 100 day high you make a 200 day high you make a 300 day high right so your position gets larger in aggregate um, um that that would be yeah my my view of it yeah just in general i'm just not a fan of signal strength as a concept i think it um the way you describe it is okay, but uh, it's it just gives off a more of a predictive quality that uh, we're, you know if all ten of my systems kick in, now we're onto something. No, you're not. You're not onto anything. <laughs> you know, we saw it last week. For God's sake, we're at all time highs. I mean, how much you know we're cruising, uh, and we get a biggest crash ever. It just means, you know, uh, I'm have a, I'm a full commitment to all 10 of my systems, which are just have different look back periods. They, they're all long. I mean, in some ways, I, as a kind of a cowardly risk manager, I'm like, oh God, I'm all long. I'm really in this thing now. I'm not excited about it anymore than um, any other trade, but I know it's gonna, could possibly really sting me if it reverses. So I just, and then I think, um, the whole idea that um, <clears throat> you should sort of use relative strength or look at, uh, you know, the whole point of uh, the problem with you know, the trend following idea is that, um, you know, you have this really good uh, strength in the sample size, but you've got to get the sample size. And so the things that you have to do to get the sample size is to uh, not uh, use relative strength and not sort of have this idea that, uh, well, just buy the strongest and sell the weakest. I uh, know you've got to have this kind of s approach that gets you in lots of trades that um, so you don't miss any big outliers and most of them turn around and don't make money. Even after you get all loaded up and uh, tr all your systems are long. So it's really, I think, just uh, a false impression that uh, 
more trend is going to lead to higher performance, which doesn't really happen, I think. No, I mean, I think that's a fair point. Of course, it doesn't say anything about whether it's going to be a, a, a good signal or not. Um, uh, so it is it is a reflection in terms of uh, uh, exposure, I, I guess. Um, and and then uh, and then we'll find out later whether that is was a good a good thing or a bad thing. All right, let's move on. Uh, we're going to go to uh, I think Africa this time. Jonathan uh, writes in and. Um, he writes something like, um, I have a deceptively simple question. Perhaps it really is that simple. In all of the wonderful discussions I've heard on the podcast, I now, uh, I'm now convinced uh, and starting to investigate ways that I can develop a universal trading system for trading all markets with the same parameters. Choosing a universal protective stop across multiple markets is harder than I thought, though. The simplest approach is to set it to a fixed number of bips or basis points or a fixed dollar loss or even current price less a percentage. However, I've been thinking if you're willing to weight the position size for a particular market based on volatility, then surely we need to set the downside proportionally as well. So do you guys do something like setting the stop based on ATR or perhaps use another complicated approach? Now, since we don't use stops, um, I sent it straight over to you, Moritz. Um, this is right up your alley, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I use ATR. So the initial stop um, is, uh, is offset by a certain number of ATRs from the entry price. And uh, the position size is then calculated that if that stop got hit, it would lose a certain amount of equity uh, of my account. That's how I do it. I agree. Same concept, Jerry. Uh, yep. Yeah. I think ATR is wonderful. Um, and uh, based on your number of ATRs, that, you know, make sure they're not too close to the market. Your small losses are not too small. You just get chopped up. And uh, But I think uh, using percentage retracement and things like that is, is definitely something to stay away from. But if I can dig a little bit deeper here, guys, because maybe this is useful. Um, ATR can change, right? It can expand. So do you also use rules whereby your initial stop can't be, um, can't you know, it can't be, if it's a long trade, it can't go lower than a certain, maybe a certain initial level um, uh, as, 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 as you are in the trade. I mean, just to help maybe out a little bit here because, you know, ATI, if that doubles, does you know you don't want to necessarily take twice the loss. Um, so how can how can uh, Jonathan think about um, using uh, ATR, but without that risk? I think you want to distinguish the initial stop and then any subsequent trailing stop here. Uh, what yeah. I was just explaining was the initial the setting of my initial stop. Right. So that one's in. Now, as the trade develops, if if I'm lucky enough to stay in the trend and it's moving in the direction I want it to move, then um, the stop will start to change eventually. It will trail um, over a certain, you know, whatever the rules are that I've given that stop to trail, right? Um, but yes, I do have a hard rule, uh, which means that the stop will never go down. I do not allow um, the stop to go down. So I floor it at the initial stop level. It can go higher, but not lower. And then yeah. as the trade develops, um, you know, maybe at some point there will be more 
ATR is at risk than I initially risked, but the stop will never go down. And this is, of course, on a long trade we're talking about. On a about long here. trade. Yeah. Yeah, so I do the same thing. So you have your initial stop loss. Um, in the That doesn't change. You place it. You use the ATR of the day of entry. And then uh, the more traditional breakout and moving average, which is not based upon ATRs, kicks in, uh, ho hopefully, when the stock, if the stock turn, if the market turns posit profitable, the trade turns profitable. So that's the old-fashioned way and um, limiting those losses. And I looked at some research the other day that uh, pr uh, proved my memory correct that uh, you know, at some level of an ATR loss, a reasonable level, using stops and not using stops, the, the results are about the same. The average loss with or without stops is about the same. Uh, and so all the stops really do is um, keep the losses, you know, minimum, max, at a, at a certain level, it doesn't go above, but uh, not having stops seems to be fine, seems to be fine. Historically, it's, I think it's been fine. A, a week like this, you may say, yeah, I lost a little bit more because I didn't have these stops, uh, and this would, I would have preferred to use stops this week. But once again, it's, we're frequently faced with these issues. Of, are you going to look at all the data and decide what you're going to do with your systems and your parameters uh, on all of the data, or try to avoid uh, a one, uh, one week of pain or a couple of days of, you know, where I, I would have lost less money. So I think uh, the former versus the latter is probably the better choice. I saw way, a funny one of the things that yeah. I want to you know, say about the stops is just, just me. People may do it in different ways, but I do not have resting orders, stop orders in the market. So I observe synthetically where the stop is and whether it's been hit or not, but I do not. I will then trade on the next bar, the next day, you know, whatever my system tells me to do, but I will not have stops sitting there in the order book uh, waiting for them to get hit. It's like Jerry said, I mean, my analysis has shown that whether I have the, the stop immediately executed or whether I trade it, say, a day late, long term, that stuff doesn't really matter that much. Um, so, and it also allows me, you know, it, it saves me time because if I had stops uh, working for me in the market, then... Uh, if the stops changes, then every day I would either have to manually or my system would have to do it, um, update the stop levels as the market develops, right? That changes price level. So I don't do that. Interesting. I saw a funny comment actually regarding stops. Someone, I think, tweeted or wherever I saw it uh, saying something like, you know, if, if you don't use market stops, then at some point the market will stop you trading. So, yeah, I mean, I, in in a way, I don't want to say I'm not using stops. I will honor the stop. It's just you yeah. know I don't necessarily trade exactly at the stop price. It may have sure. some slippage around that level, but I will. If it's, yeah, no, I think if the level has sense. been hit, I'm going out. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I think all a lot of research shows that that actually for longer term trend following uh, programs, even if you delay your orders by a day, it makes no difference in the long run. Yes. So I agree with that. We have a completely different question uh, from uh, Craig, uh, who writes in, Hi Nils, hope you're feeling better after your recent call that you mentioned in last show. Craig, I wish I could say so, but it's not quite gone, but there we are. I had a hypothetical question about communication with clients. Let's assume your clients do not have access to daily performance reports, such as they only receive performance information from you when you communicate with them. How frequently would you communicate with them? 
Communication on a more frequent basis, weekly or monthly, may have the benefit of keeping the client well informed and aid the understanding, confidence in your approach. But it has the downside of reporting shorter periods of performance, which are more affected by randomness, potentially making the client more uncomfortable from time to time. Um, I think that's a great question. I think it's something we all um, have to deal with. Um, Jerry, what are your thoughts uh, about communication? Oh, so important, um, especially up front that everybody understands what they're getting into and what you're... Um, what they should expect, and then any sort of changes you have along the way, <clears throat> make sure those are properly communicated as well. What about you, Mortz? How often would you uh, share updates with your clients? I think the uh, industry standard has become the monthly update and the monthly fact sheets, um, regardless of whether people have a monthly NAV or a daily NAV. So there's always this monthly updated fact sheet. Honestly, I'd prefer to be less frequent to be honest, I mean, we've spoken about private equity and all of that stuff where kind of like there's a premium on being illiquid and not, you know, see every print and every NAV all the time. Um, I, I'd probably settle on something like your quarterly update and maybe a end of year annual letter that is a bit longer and reflects on what has been happening at the firm and what has been happening in terms of research and, you know, how things have been developing and what the focus is on. Um, but for a trend following long-term trend following system um you know monthly updates are you know it, it's uh, could be anything really what i think is more important is uh what jerry was saying is proper communication in advance so prior to clients making an investment speak to them uh be very transparent about what it is that you know your system is doing your firm is doing um and that they need to be committed to that investment for a longer period of time that you know the drawdowns will be there and that this is not the time to be to become shaky but you know to stay committed um yeah like jerry said they need people need to understand what they're getting into it's a good thing that they're getting into but it's not not easy to hold on to yeah i mean a lot of good stuff uh in in that response uh, from from Moritz. um i think of it um uh, maybe a little bit differently. Uh, I I agree with Moritz that uh, you know long term, uh, you don't want to encourage people to look at their portfolio all the time and and all of that stuff. I I I I agree with that. But but I do things a little bit differently on my side. Um, uh, firstly, I would say nowadays, uh, certainly if you're running a fund, that fund is often tracked anyways every day and there's usually somewhere people can find the performance of the fund on a daily basis. Uh, certainly US mutual funds, I mean, you can see the performance on your iPhone every day if you want, so they have a ticker. Um, but on my side, um, and this goes for both uh, my institutional relationships but also high net worth individuals, I actually get up uh, early every Saturday morning and I write them an email and I tell them what the performance is for the uh, for the strategies, but I also put words on. And I think I do it um, partly because I look at what would I would like to receive if I was an investor. And I, you can always say no, you don't have to receive these updates, but 
I see a lot of people actually wanting to receive them. I have more people receiving only monthly updates, but I have a lot of people actually receiving a weekly update. Um, and so that's just how I've chosen to do it. Um, but um, I guess it's very individual. Um, I do agree that it's not useful in some ways, um, but it does put things into context. And then I completely agree with Jerry and Moritz uh, and say the importance of investing time up front to make sure people uh, know what to expect. Because frankly, people should be able to figure out more or less what our performance is going to be, not necessarily by percentage, but certainly whether it's a big up week or a big down week, just by reading the newspaper or looking at a, at a screen. Um, it shouldn't come as a surprise um, with trend following. You should uh, know roughly how your manager systems uh, react. So, But it's a good question, and uh, I hope, Craig, it's not a theoretical question soon for you that you will be doing it for yourself. Last question uh, this week is from, um, from Ross. Uh, I think we're back in the States now. Uh, Ross writes in, loving the podcast. I've been a software engineer over a couple of decades and have developed some great models that I trade. I started my exempt CTA in January to start building an official track record. Since I'm small with little AUM, I'm finding it difficult to trade all the futures contracts markets because of the contract size. Micro products are becoming more popular and seem to have great liquidity. How did you handle this when you uh, when trading your own retirement accounts or friends and family money as a small CTA? I guess back then um, when we all started, we didn't have these micro contracts, and I I don't we don't trade them um, ourselves. But maybe you know more about um, uh, how they are helping uh, smaller uh, because I'm not exactly sure how small they are compared to the normal contracts. But I'm sure you guys know that Jerry and Moritz. Um, so um, right now I'm not trading the micros um, and uh, like you said Niels when, when I started designing my system and my portfolio they didn't even exist I think so the minis existed when I started right in addition to the big contracts and now the minis have become in, in many instances more liquid than the original big contracts um, but the micros I don't know but what I have seen is that they are liquid and so uh, for um, the purpose that we're talking about here, running a trend following strategy on a smaller AUM portfolio, I think they're well suited to do that. Um, and actually, so, you know, yeah, use them. I mean, absolutely use them, get the diversification, right? Trade, trade the smaller contracts. And um, I, I know they exist in the currencies, they exist in some of the equities, etc. right? Maybe you can uh, um, uh, trade some some ETFs as well to get exposure to some markets for which otherwise the futures contracts would be too large. What what I want to say though is um, uh, I'm actually right now working on a project to um, put a trend following trading system live on on the web online for I'm not sure probably a hundred thousand or maybe a hundred fifty thousand dollars but not more than that probably a hundred thousand dollars and kind of like show that it's doable to trade in that way and to get the diversification and it'll be with real money. So it's not, you know, just, um, just trading a paper account, but, but actually real money. And then people can see if, if they like it or if they want to copy some stuff out of it, um, you know, they can just follow along. Good stuff. Good stuff. 
Do you trade micros, uh, Jerry, or do you trade just the usual uh, ones? Just the usual, just the usual ones. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So those were the um, uh, the questions. Um, quick recap, maybe since it's month end today. Um, but we still don't have the final day's performance. Uh, I think yesterday was kind of a mixed day. I have a feeling, uh, depending a little bit on your market exposure time frame, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but as of Thursday night, at least, a uh, small loss in the beta 50 index for the month, uh, down 34 basis points, flat for the year. Uh, actually, small up for the Sokjian trend index, up 22 basis points, up 1% for the year. Uh, the uh, the uh, did I say Sukjin CTA index? That's what I meant. At least Sukjin trend index was also up as of Thursday night, uh, about one percent uh, and two percent for the year. And the short-term traders index was up uh, about fifty-eight basis points, but up three percent. Uh, so leading the charge so far this year. And the bridge alternatives was up uh, just shy of two percent. Uh, and up about 1.4% for the year. But these numbers will change once we have the final numbers, but at least it gives you an indication as to what uh, is going on. What else can we say? We can share that obviously we have, uh, not obviously, we have um, perhaps mentioned that we're going to have a guest on in a couple of weeks, uh, Robert Carver. He has been on the podcast before as a long-form interview, but uh, he's written a few great books. And he's uh, very knowledgeable about this space. So if you have some questions specifically for Rob, then when you send the uh, question to info at toptradersonplug.com, if you could put in the headline, question for Rob, it's easier for me to um, keep track of those. So that would be good. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. So uh, do send them in early. What else, uh, Jerry Moritz, uh, do you have on your mind agenda for today? been a long time since I've said it, but especially after that week, very important. Happy trading. Uh, okay. I would say even better advice, don't think about trading for a couple of days at least. So take, take some time off. This is a, have a happy Saturday. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And also, just want to repeat what I said uh, last week, that uh, we just want to make sure that that you know uh, that we don't take your attention for granted. And uh, this journey that we're on is solely because you are gifting us your time and attention each week. Uh, so uh, much love and appreciation to everyone out there who uh, took a chance on the show and uh, who have become part of, uh, of this audience. Uh, it means a lot to us, and it's really your energy and enthusiasm and engagement um, with what we do that keeps uh, keeps us going. Um, I think that's it for this week uh, from Jerry Morris and me. Thanks so much for listening and we look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review and be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.